Culture and Psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb Dot listeners. Another day with Dr. Alexandrati and, and Dr. Daniel Rockers, uh, two of my colleagues and friends. Today we're going to talk about the chemistry of conversations, also known as CIQ. The chemistry of conversations um, has boosted the conversational intelligence and um, this is uh, is, uh, work done by uh, Judith Glacier and also Richard D. Glacier, the PhD, um, regarding the issue of the chemistry of conversations. So today we're going to talk about why do negative comments and conversations stick with us so much longer than positive ones. A critique from a boss a disagreement with a colleague, a fight with a friend. The sting from any of these can make you forget a month's worth of praise or accord. If you've been called lazy or careless or a disappointment, you're likely to remember and internalize it. It's somehow easier to forget or discount all the times people have said you're talented or conscientious or that you make them proud. Chemistry plays a big role in this phenomenon. When we face criticism, rejection, or fear, when we feel marginalized or minimized, our bodies produce higher levels of cortisol, a hormone that shuts down the thinking center of our brains and activates conflict aversion and protection behaviors. We become more reactive and sensitive. We often perceive even greater judgment and negativity than actually exists. And these effects can last for 26 hours or more, imprinting the interaction on our memories and magnifying the impact it has on our future behavior. Cortisol functions like a sustained release tablet. The more we numerate about our fear, the longer the impact. So today I started with this introduction and I like to talk about this, the importance of conversation using words. Can I, like, can I start with the, uh, I was in a, I'd like you to do that, Alex, please. Yeah, go ahead. No, you're up, man. No, I'm letting, okay. Well, I was going to say kind of, I know we get to the personal side of things. I was going to start there. Um, Do you guys think you're a good conversationalist? I've talked with both of you and I think you both are, but I think it's one of those things, like how do we view ourselves? I sometimes feel like I'm a good conversationalist, but I feel like, I don't know, I kind of struggle with it too. And as I imagine most people do, and and kind of as you were alluding to it, you know, it it kind of requires amount of energy and effort and kind of a a natural, and again, maybe this is debatable as far as like a natural skill or talent. Is that something that, you know, grows? Is that something we have? Um, So yeah, I feel like I'm an okay conversationalist. Um, What about you guys? How do you view yourself as far as conversationalist? I see both of you a very good conversationist, uh, especially since I know Dan longer than Alex. I can attest to Dan's careful uh, first of all, Dan talk, doesn't talk much. And when he does, 
always, uh, you know, you want to, um, you know, listen to the words and the wisdom he has in the words he uses. So I've noticed that. And Alex, you're such an such a sensitive uh, man, um, you know, and very much uh, into using, you know, positive um, words in your conversation. So I, I honestly feel like you both are great, you know, well, maybe it's because you're psychologists, and uh, you have that training and experiences. And I don't know, but uh, I have experienced both of you as people that they care when you use words, and your attitude is very positive. Thank you. I appreciate that. What about you? Do you, how do you view yourself? Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I, I think I care about people. So because I care, I try not to say anything to create any negativity in them. I, this is how I try to be. I don't know how I appear, but I love people and I love to make sure that they're not hurt. They're not, you know, bothered by any negativity. So I do try and I understand that part. I think, Alex, that where we are right now in this particular session is an example of your CIQ. Because I just observed you, how you took hold of it, structured it, and then stayed with it too. So that's a great example of conversational intelligence, chemistry of conversation. And I was just going to also say, we talked about uh, chemistry of negative, um, you know, cortisol, how that uh, creates, but also positive comments and conversations uh, produce a chemical reaction too. They spare the production of oxytocin, a feel-good hormone that elevates our ability to communicate, collaborate, and trust others by activating networks in our um, prefrontal cortex. But oxytocin metabolizes more quickly than cortisol, so its effects are less dramatic and long-lasting. It's really important to know sometimes what we can do to each other by using negative words or negative comments. Uh, This chemistry of conversation is why it's so critical for all of us, especially I think when you're in leadership role, when you are in um, relationship with someone, because we know that we can stir up the good in people or we can stir up the negativity and the nasty part of each of us that we all do have. We all have both. Uh, Obviously, none of us uh, is without both. You know, in every good positive, there's a negative uh, that they both are within us. Um, So we can stir up the negative part and we know how easy it is to do that. And there's also the way we can, by just one simple comment, we can bring up the best of people. I guess I'm wondering too, how much of this is, and again, probably because of what we do as a psychologist, I'm wondering if that stems from within the person, if they're struggling sometimes to even be positive towards themselves, how how likely is that going to be something that they do in conversation? And so, you know, I find a lot of times negativity breeds more negativity. So to be able to be social and to be upbeat and to be positive, I think that could be tough for people, especially too. I find people use the word too commonly, introvert and extrovert. 
I think people don't really understand what that means. People will sometimes be like, oh, I'm an introvert means I don't ever want to talk to anybody. It's like, no, that's not what an introvert means. Uh, and so that means, you know, and it's not on this, this, you know, broad extreme, you know, where it's like, because you're an introvert, you, you introvert, you don't want to talk to anybody ever. You know, it's like, no, it just maybe that's not the thing that recharges you. It doesn't mean that you can't get something from it. Doesn't mean that you can't do it or be good at it even too. So I think it's one of those things where those things that we tell ourselves about, you know, how we are and who we are can definitely play in that, that energy or that vibe that comes across in conversating with others. Right. Liking being one way doesn't hate the other way or never mm -hmm. do it. If I, if my favorite ice cream is strawberry ice cream, it doesn't necessarily mean chocolate. It just means, oh, you know, given the choice, I prefer that. But sometimes for variety, I like chocolate ice cream. That's definitely. And well, I you're, you're, you're a monster if you don't like chocolate ice cream too, Dan, just in yeah. general, in the world. Yeah. 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 <laughs> just so you know. Yes, 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 yeah. <laughs> I got it. I got it now. Yeah, I love chocolate ice cream. It's great. Okay, okay. I mean, strawberry ice cream or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever you say. That's yeah. what I'm whatever we were supposed to like. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I'll go along with that. I think the other thing, too, that begins to happen is if we feel very badly about ourselves, it becomes easy to put others down as a way to make ourselves feel. It's a misguided attempt or misguided approach. But... I, it is generally not consciously done. It's not a volitional chosen way. It's a natural tendency of the conscious psyche or the unconscious psyche. So I think a lot of times that's how negative we're trying to make ourselves feel better, but it's not. A well, that's why in psychology, in organizational psychology, we have different types of leaders, uh, leaders that um, they're transformational and um, leaders that they have dictatorship um, mindset and so many other style of leadership that we know in different organizations, uh, they um, either cause the staff feeling being part of the organization or being fearful of, uh, you know, being uh, fired or laid off or all of that, that we have studied. Um, based on Dr. Glacier, the good news is in majority of the time when it comes to leadership, leaders are um, educated about these things and 85% of the leaders actually uh, either try or act as um, they're more positive than they like their organization really be towards that level that um, the staff feel more comfortable with the leadership and they don't feel they're apart from leadership, but they have trained so many leaders in that regard. And they have come up with five very positive, um, you know, items for behaviors in positive leadership and five negative. And the five positive behaviors concern for others, uh, makes it truthful about what's on mind, the other one is a stimulate discussion or curiosity uh, and then paint picture of mutual success and open to difficult conversations. And the opposite of those is don't trust others' intentions, focus on convincing others. Um, others are not understanding, pretend to be listening. And lastly, of the five is emotions detract from listening. So we're talking about completely five opposite way of 
conducting um, as a leader. And um, we know that when you're concerned for others, it shows in your behavior. People pick that very quickly. Truthfulness about what's in your mind. If you walk like you have a secret and, and you don't want your staff or people you work with you or even in close relationship, I think that's really, really important. And uh, that's something that I guess it just opens up a lot of good points in a person when you are not secretive and you share. Um, let's just have a break and come back to continue our conversation. with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Alex Andrade, two of my colleagues and friends from Tavana organization. And today we're talking about conversational catalyst. We talked about the negative conversation, the positive conversation. We also talked about the importance of conversational IQ. So it's not only IQ, the intelligence, but also we have intelligence in conversation. And I want to go back and talk about the details of the five good points, and then maybe you guys chime in. Um, the, we talked about the second part of a good um, behavior was truthfulness about what's in your mind, and then stimulate conversation and curiosity, stimulate discussion. Um, and then the opposite side of that was uh, focusing on convincing others. I think these, these two are so important because when you're trying to convince someone, you're not listening to them. You're not mm -hmm. having a conversation. And I want to uh, say, Alex, the question that you ask about how do we see ourselves, I think it was the greatest question because I was just thinking about uh, self-discovery and self-reflection. And the first question actually is what you ask. It's a question of what is your overall impression of your own profile when it comes to conversation. So that was a good question. Alex, again, conversational IQ, man. Got it going on. I got skills I don't even recognize sometimes, you know? So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how do we stimulate discussion and curiosity? Uh, Dan, I think you are. You have PhD in that. So always <laughs> your curiosity and stimulating the conversation is always uh, the biggest point in you. I, it, your curiosity. I think that's why, Dan. I mean, you're, you're such a curious person. I do ask a lot of questions. I know Jan about that. She gets tired of all my questions, chatter. She has a, actually a keyboard, <laughs> which is, a, and I, yeah, with her, I do, I do, I ask a lot of questions, but you're right. I am curious. I like learning new things. Thinking right now, I've, I'm taking a German language class, and I think in the summer, I'm going to, nice. like, it's so cool 
learning, well, how do they do that? How do they compute that? How do you know how to do? I think curiosity really one of the greatest, because if you're curious, then you're open. You can ask questions. It took me a long time to learn this very important fact. You can learn a lot of this stuff yourself by yourself, or you can learn a lot more, a lot faster if you ask other people. And I think for me, some of that transition was had to do with, it was kind of an ego thing. Oh no, I can myself. And it comes down to, you don't have to just ask other people and everybody wins. You learn more and other people feel good because they've got knowledge that you're interested. That's awesome. Um, you know, I was going to say, um, how about each of you? Are you open to difficult conversation? say no my gut reaction is just no those are hard those yeah are hard. they're always uncomfortable i mean do you need to do them yes sometimes but uh yeah sometimes it's you know even though you know the benefit of it do it it's hard it's it's challenging it's gonna yeah. feel away sometimes and so but it does become necessary so i think it's when you get to that threshold of you know okay it's you know it's doing me more harm than good or even just not saying something you know can be hurting others or myself then you know or or the gain is worth it the gain is worth that difficult conversation so um just reminds me like i i sometimes will talk about end of life things with like you know uh, i recently purchased life insurance and uh was, you know telling my parents oh i got life insurance so you know if something happens to me you guys basically hit the lottery and they kind of said it in that joking way and they both didn't feel comfortable with it you know one more than the other i won't kind of call out who but when i was like i don't want to talk about that i don't like talking about that and it's like well it's a reality that you know we all come to death at some point and uh it's one of those things where yeah i, I don't do that to you know inflict or cause pain you know and, and again even my humor humor is used as a way sometimes to, to cope with that and to deflect that to, to make it less kind of uncomfortable in that way so um yeah it was an example of one of the ways i i have somewhat difficult conversations uh they're not easy by any means use of humor yes i i have a great example from not from my own life but from a friend of he i as a brief acquaintance with him but he was a good friend in action he told me about an instance where he had dated this woman for a long time and then they broke up he was going to southern california and then he came back to Northern California and was in the area, and she then was dating somebody else. He had gone over to her place to talk and catch up, and while he was at her place, her boyfriend drove up outside. And I said, hey, well, what'd you do? And he says, I told her to go out and have him come in. And I don't, for, for whatever reason, that was going to be a difficult conversation. I don't know if it was jealousy or if she was planning to him or whatever, but it was going to be a problem. And I said, what were you thinking? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just leave? And he said, and I'll never forget this. He said, because I wanted to feel all the feelings. And what that says to me is, well, why do we avoid those difficult conversations? Because it's the emotions that will come up. We don't want to feel those. And I was amazed with him and his response, like he wasn't afraid of it. whatever those emotions came up, it was okay. So I suspect a lot of times we, we seek to avoid the difficult feelings that come up. But if we can see it in the way that he saw it, boy, you get freed up. Quite. Yes, uh, there is a book on their difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most. Uh, this is by Douglas Stone um, and Bruce Patton. Sheila Heen. We actually had to read this and have a conversation in our management meeting. 
And basically what I remember, and I was just uh, kind of reviewing, it says that each difficult conversation is really three conversations. One is the what happened conversation. Second is the feeling conversation. And third is the identity conversation. And I remember because of, of my job specifically dealing when things were escalated and, it, and they were fired up, um, it was when I had to um, get into what happened and how to resolve the issue. And, you know, when it comes to students and parents and dealing with the, um, you know, the feeling of parents is always very, very difficult. But, you know, sometimes you have a job that you have to do it, whether you like it or not. And um, there was always training in different areas of management for us. And this conversation was always something that um, it wasn't delightful, obviously. So whenever I was going to such a meeting, I was always like nervous and, um, you know, just kind of deep breathing, asking the universe to help me say the best thing that possibly I can when it comes to ex escalated situation. But one thing I remember at first when, when I asked what happened and the parents started, you know, uh, with all the emotion and reaction, they were talking just say something positive about their, their child. So in my case was about the child or in, in my case was like such a good parents would care and come back to converse about what happened. So all of a sudden you felt like, you know, that positivity, again, we go back to um, CIQ, the conversational IQ that you have to bring something positive at the very beginning to calm down the situation. And that always helped me to get into what happened. And sometimes you're in a very difficult place because on the one hand, you have to support your staff, your teacher or whoever your staff is. And your client is your parent, you know, and your student or whoever the client is. So it's a hard place. So you need on the one hand to support yourself and on the other hand to get to the matter. And then when it came to the feeling conversation, you know, it's really important in every, like you said, Dan, your friend wanted to feel what the other person was going through you know, the feeling conversation that you are all ear and you're all empathy, putting yourself into the shoes of the other side. And then the identity conversation, that's when conversation uh, gets to the actual meat of what happened. You know, you, you went through that positivity, you went through um, the beginning part and then, um, that what happened, but in a positive way, and then the feeling conversation, and then the identity conversation. Now, what do we do? And usually, usually, I ask, what do you want to happen? What is your expectations? Sometimes when you listen to the expectations, it's not any different than what you want to do and what is right to do. You know what I mean? It's like, what is your expectation? And then they talk about their expectation. If it's very close to yours, you may compromise and say, this is what we can do. But it's way off. Then you may say, I will come back to you 
and and we can because immediately you don't want to say no you know what i mean so there's a good book if any of you want i would love to uh have you read it but dif difficult conversation that's why it's called difficult conversation is not easy i love that question too what is it you want that's a question when i do a, a phone consult with a potential new patient it's one of the last questions i ask them what do you want to get out of treatment right now and i'm i'm surprised by how often people are surprised by that because i'm essentially saying like what do you want to get out of this and they're like i don't know like i, I haven't thought about that like i've just i know i'm having these difficulties or i know this is really you know not where i want to be it's like, well, where do you want to be? What does that look like? You know, what do you want to get out of this? And I find a, a similarly, you know, that question of, you know, you know, what are you hoping to get out of this conversation? That kind of turns it around on the other person where they can maybe be heard and, and gives them some opportunity to reflect on what is it that I'm wanting? I think sometimes uh, in difficult conversations, we're just in a kind of defensive mode. We're ready to, to, to fight or to, to protect versus really... I don't think we anticipate on getting our point across or being heard in that way. Uh, and so that's a great way to, I think, kind of let down maybe that other person's guard and be like, oh, wait, we can negotiate. We can uh, be heard in a way. Yeah. When you ask that, when somebody asks that question in a conversation, you're automatically speaking from a different, you're speaking from next rather than I've got mine and what's yours. Mm. It's more like, well, what are you hoping to get? And the meta message that comes across is, Hey, I want to, I'm open to listening to where you are and you're, you're sort of taking a higher level role, problem solving as opposed to defending. So that's very cool. I've used and like method called action inquiry that it's like a four or five step thing. The first just kind of sentence by sentence, it could be very brief, but sentence by sentence, it would be the first sentence is you state the overall situation that's going on for where things are. Then you say what has been tried. Then you say your understanding of how that person, you talk about the next one is your, un, how you see this in the fifth. Is, here's what I propose my suggestion. By the time you get to the proposal for solution, it should be pretty clear. You had to do your research and consider the other. It's like, you're not just fighting and defending. It's a measured approach that's fairly bad. You we take are into account the other uh, absolutely. That's that. Those are great stuff. Uh, sort of similar, but in more details uh, in five steps. And um, Alex, I mean Dan, can you repeat the five steps just in general? The, the first one is the state the overall. Scene. Here's what we're here talking. We've got we've got some problems. The second is here's what's been tried already. Done this. We've done this. Uh, yet the third. How they see. So you have to put yourself in their shoes to say, probably seems like that. And of course, it'll be more detailed. Fourth, your own take, which they're going to be more open to listening to once you have taken the describe as their. And then the fifth is a proposed gesture. But I forgot one of the most important pieces after you do all five of those is you ask a question. You say, does this sound like a good idea? You have some other idea better. All right, thank you. And we come back to continue the last part of our conversation.
We're back with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alex Andrade, two of my colleagues and friends from Tavana Organization. Today, our conversation uh, has been so far about the CIQ, Conversational IQ Catalyst, and we talked about the positive um, attitude um, and the positive behavior of anyone, specifically a manager, a, a leader, someone who has more people involved, and also in relationship, anytime uh, any um, people or any person is involved, it's important to have these sort of um, steps in conversing with um, each other, and especially in difficult conversation. We talked about the steps to uh, have a better resolution when it comes to difficult conversation. And now we are back and we are going to continue our conversation about uh, CIQ. So we um, talked about the positive uh, five positive behavior of a leader or a person in a relationship. The part that uh, we didn't talk about was pink picture of mutual success. So what is that both uh, benefit? What is uh, that uh, if you are in a relationship, it's success for both rather than this is what I want. Because on the other hand, the um, cortisol producing behavior was um, focus, um, others are not understanding and um, pretend to be listening rather than really listening and what is it for both of us. And the other was open to difficult conversations. And that brought us to the difficult conversation that we ended our um, second part before the break. And the last part in cortisol producing behavior was emotions uh, detract from listening. I think that's the part that is very difficult when as a human being, we become emotional. And that's the part sometimes we lose it. How can we control our emotions? What help us to control our emotions? I kind of disagree with that last piece. I think a lot of times emotions are viewed as a weakness, but and I'm thinking of like culturally, sometimes there's this idea that emotions are lead to being irrational. But I think I think we need some level of emotion in anything that we're, you know, passionate about. And I think it's, it's easy to just dismiss emotions as being, you know, interfering, you know, if we're not passionate about something, if we're not feeling very strongly about something, I mean, why, why advocate for it? Why push for it in that way? So I think it's, it's one of those things where we can look at being stoic and, you know, being very measured um, is more desirable. Um, of course, I mean, we don't want to be like yelling and screaming at the top of our lungs or anything like that, but I think it's okay to be passionate. I think it's okay to, to have that emotion in those, uh, in that argument that we're making or that statement that we're making. Um, I'm sure if we spoke and we were monotone the whole time, you know, and didn't have any emotion, even talking about these positive things, you know, people would be like, oh, this is it's a perfect podcast to put me to sleep or something like that, you know, versus, uh, or the perfect radio show to put me to sleep versus really being like, oh, wait, they care, they're invested. So I, I think we need that emotion to some degree. I think there's a clear, we, it's important to distinguish the distinction the difference between having emotion and the expression. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking that being angry means breaking or damaging. And it doesn't mean that. I agree totally with you, Alex, that there's this common thinking that 
having emotions is a weakness. Mm -hmm. And so then what people do is they try to act like they don't have emotion. And the reality is they do have a lot and it all gets built up and blow. But what is real weakness is not having emotion because everybody has emotions. What is real weakness is people who aren't familiar with their inside process. Normal to cry, pet or a loved one. That's pretty normal. It may not be appropriate to have the expression of that all the time. I'm trying to lead the nation on TV. I probably don't get up there to have much confidence, but it doesn't mean that I should cry. So it's the expression of emotions way, way having. And the way I took it only was showing anger, showing that type of, you know what I mean, Alex? Oh. Because showing empathy, sympathy, having teary eyes, it's okay. Uh, we've seen, we've had president who had cried on, on national TV and it was beautiful. Maybe for some was sign of weakness, but for many was sign of being a human as a president of a country. But the way I actually interpret that was showing negative emotions in a, you know, like negative emotion, even we know that those emotions, maybe we shouldn't even say negative, because they're natural, uh, especially the six major emotions. But, um, you know, Dr. Glacier, who is uh, the inventor of CIQ, actually talks about shifting from conversations that trigger defensiveness and fear to conversations that build healthy organizational environment. Um, and that's when we talk about I uh, versus we. And he talks about uh, fears that uh, is... Um, that involves excluding, judging, limiting, withholding, knowing, dictating, punishing. And then when we come from the perception of we, like we are together in this, it's about desires. It's about including, appreciating, expanding, sharing, discovering, developing, and celebrating. And the quote uh, from him, actually, or actually from her, because both wife and husband are doing these kind of trainings, uh, Judith, the wife, says, um, to get to our next level of greatness depends on quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversation. So it's important from, do we come from the fear and from I, or do we come from we? And I think if we are clear in that in our mind, when we are conversing, probably the whole thing is so different. That's a great point. I find and it's a, a kind of a core basic concept in talking with individuals or couples specifically about, you know, how do we communicate? Um, and I've, I've seen even just the use of that, that strategy can really have a major impact on, on, on a couple and how they interact and communicate with one another. Um, if we're saying I all the time versus acknowledging kind of we, um, I've seen it definitely kind of take a toll. It, it creates more unity, more kind of uh, kind of shared experience, which I think, especially in a relationship where we're seeking, we're wanting versus if we're using the word I, 
it, it puts us in opposition almost. Well, I want this and, you know, you do this. And so uh, that can definitely lead to that conflict solidifying and even further sometimes. Yeah, if you speak exclusively from the I view. Uh, he also in this uh, workbook says, who am I willing to be in order to produce an extraordinary results? And he talks about words and he says, the choice of these words come from a pragmatic search over the past 25 years by Maria Nemeth. Uh, they're chosen for the effect they create in working with over 8,000 people. She discovered certain qualities consistently evoked spaciousness, contribution, compassion, and generosity of a spirit. And these words are alert, appreciative, attentive, clear, compassionate, courageous, creative, empowering, enthusiastic, flexible, focused, generous, gentle, grateful, joyous, kind, loving, open, present, receptive, supportive, truthful, and vulnerable. Uh, the qualities, uh, he says, we use given space for action. They're not contemplative, they're active. Uh, so I think choice of word is huge in conversation. So um, it just puts you in a situation that you have to think before saying, you know, you can't just chime in to a conversation. You can't just unload on Choice of words, very, very, very true, starting with... <laughs> yeah, you brought that up. Yes. Didn't, I mean, that's a real... You say someone's name, they begin to feel included already and thought about. And because I've noticed this with some salesmen where they'll be in converse, I'll be in conversation with them and they might be explaining something and they will not only use my name, but also include me as one character in their example situation that they're getting. say. So if you were doing this, then you would say blah, 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 or whatever. But it's a way of really just bringing people in in that way. So using the name, certainly a starter for all of them. So maybe that's why everywhere you go, they have name tags. So when someone is presenting, they usually like to call the names. And probably that's why they usually pass by me. Or if, <laughs> they, ah. or if, <laughs> or if uh, no, a lot of times actually in different conferences or presentations, uh, you know, they have been people that they were afraid to even try. And I notice in their behavior and in their face that, Oh, and I always say in in inside me, some the voice says, "Oh, so and so is afraid to call your name." And uh, but then there are people who are courageous. They say, "How do you pronounce your name?" So I don't want to do it um, wrongly. So just pronounce it. And then they go, "Okay." And then they ask question. So there's different personalities I faced with in different places that some people. They just ask you to pronounce your name because they don't know how to pronounce it. And there's some people, they don't want to even get close to even try, you know, or maybe they don't want to take time even, you know. Well, yeah, I think you're maybe talking about curious. People are curious. Yeah, yeah. It as a puzzle or a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Have you tried something like make it, if we put ourselves in the mind of the other person, how to make it easy for them? 
or something unusual or interesting for them. There are probably ways you do that with. Yeah. No, you do. You have that shortcut. You've, you've said it before. How do you? Yeah, side A. Side B, right? Is yeah, that... not side yeah. B, side A. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Everybody yeah. laughs and it's, it's funny when you say mm-hmm. I'm side A, not side B. Mm-hmm. Well, that'd be a great way to do a name tag because you could put your name across the top and then in parentheses put not side B. <laughs> side A, yeah. <laughs> I've done that actually. I've said side A and then uh, they sometimes wonder and I got the reason I put that because that's how you pronounce it. And it's not side B. And, right. and I've said that in the past. I always say, wherever I go with my husband, he, when I say I am side A, side A, and my husband says, and I'm side B. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's very good. I remember when I met you and that's what you said. It's yeah. Like, well, like actually, you. a lot of names that ends with eh, like my name, uh, that's that's how you learn to do it. It's like hide, say hide A. Uh, Farid, Farid A. You know, it makes it easy. But when you're trying to put it all together, it's very difficult. But what, when you separate it with A at the end, letter A, the first part of the name, then it becomes easy. Is that, is your name, is that an uh, Persian name or is that an Arabic name? It's or- Arabic. It's actually Arabic. A lot of, because the alphabet is very similar, except there's some letters in Arabic that in Farsi alphabet doesn't have those letters and the opposite. There are some letters in Farsi that it doesn't exist in Arabic. So a lot of words are similar. I, yeah, I asked that because I met somebody who, she said her name was Saida and I asked if she was Persian. Oh. I wondered if it was the same name, but spoken differently. Is that a possibility or not? Yeah, because the pronunciation obviously is a little different. Uh, They have more emphasis on the, uh, on one of the letters, um, which is hard right now to emphasize on the, uh, you know, because we are, (laughs) we are separating from our subject, but maybe we can one time talk about the names Again, um, yeah, so um, we are getting to the end of our program, but maybe, do we have time to give a short break? Yeah, maybe take a quick break, take yeah. Take a quick break and come back to end our conversation.
We're back with Dr. Alex Andrade and Dr. Daniel Rockers uh, from Tavano Organization. We um, get together on Saturday and Sundays uh, to talk about different issues uh, from psychological perspective. We always bring culture into our conversation because we believe culture is a big part of a person. Um, so today we talked about uh, conversational IQ and the importance of uh, using the right words, uh, the positive words, and um, the effect of using the positive words, the uh, creation of the oxytocin hormone. And when we use negative words, we are creating actually the cortisol, which is the cortisol is a very negative hormone that um, uh, brings a lot of negative situation in our physical being and in our mental being. And uh, most of our conversation was how the importance of having that IQ of conversation that um, in a right place, uh, we use the right words. So we are at the end of our program. And I would like to start with one of my colleagues to say the final statement regarding the CIQ. Well, we have uh, several minutes left. And I wanted to squeeze oh, in good. this idea sure. real quick. Yeah, I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, how does this maybe relate to, you know, COVID and what's going on right now as far as socializing? Um Dan, you mentioned the idea of kind of it maybe being something that people aren't, uh, you know, people are maybe, you know, feeling different about or impacted by. Do you want to say more about that or share that idea? Um, I'm not tracking yet what you're asking. Oh, sorry. The idea of uh, kind of socializing and, and being able to practice those social skills kind of being maybe dampened uh, a bit because of COVID and the lack of socialization. Oh, this idea of being out of shape socially. Yeah, yeah. I think that could tie into this too. Well, what I was, yeah, the thing that I was thinking about was that with everybody being so isolated, we get to a place where we're just not accustomed to ongoing face-to-face, -face, actual face-to-face -face conversation with people. And I recently had somebody who's a pretty social person mm. and she said, that she was just worn out after mm -hmm. talking with somebody face to face because she hadn't done it for such a long time. And I thought, wow, that's a very interesting thing. But from several years ago, a friend of mine talked about somebody being out of shape socially, socially, mm -hmm. social interactionally. And I have always remembered that. I thought, well, that's very interesting. But it really, like any skill, it's a, it is a skill. And a skill that we don't practice, we're going to be a little rusty on. So you have to give yourself a little bit of break if you're as you're coming back around. Hopefully, the COVID thing is easing and we are getting better. But, so give yourself a little bit of break. Don't do what I just saw on TV this morning, which is all of spring break. Everybody just blowing off all um, precautions and mm -hmm. just gathering in big groups. Uh, the very interesting point, uh, Dr. Rockers, because it's so interesting. This uh, Friday night, I had my family together and we had a very close uh, couple friend that they joined us. And when they walked in, they were actually exactly what you said. They said, it took us a long time to figure out what to wear 
And uh, seriously, they said it was just like, oh, my gosh, we have forgotten even now we are going to a gathering that we need to dress up a little. And at first, it was so hard to even think that we are getting out and coming to a gathering. And it was very interesting. I didn't even pay attention to this part of it. But now that you mention, it's really we are out of shape. Uh, I'm invited to a gathering this Thursday, and honestly, exact same thing. I was thinking, it's going to be hard to go back to gatherings, you know. Uh, so very, very interesting point, and and it's beginning. It seems like it's a starting to happening because this invitation was like, we all are vaccinated, so now we can get together we do outside but just as a warning we may come uh, inside for dinner and part of the gathering when it gets cold at night so same thing went to my mind it was like wow the gatherings are started <laughs> you know mm -hmm. we are out of shape uh, yeah and so i think that's why everything that we talked about today could be relevant too so if if you're listening at this point i think and you're like oh man what were all those things that they talked about uh, it's important to remember that you can go to the website, uh, com, and there's links to our live show as well as our podcast. And you can look us up on uh, Spotify and Apple as well for the podcast. So you could always rewind and go back and kind of listen again, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, too, when we go over a lot of content, it's like, wait, there's so much. And so, um, yeah, definitely you can kind of go over it again and listen uh, back to what some of those things were so you can strengthen some of your social skills in that way and so and i think it's important too along those lines you know you don't have to be perfect the first time you could even tell people kind of as you guys are both alluding to like hey it's been so long since we've done this like you know like what do we talk about how do we do that and i find that sometimes puts people at ease as well well you also don't have to jump in at the same intensity and duration that you did before covid mm -hmm. you know? If I haven't been running for a long, for a year or so, I'm not going to go down to the trail and run 15 miles on my first time out. It's just not a wise move. So be kind to yourself. You don't have to set up marathon social sessions. Right, right. Well, thank you again for another conversation. And thank you, Dr. Andrade, for mentioning that sometimes during the conversation, we jump from our focus to different directions. And maybe for someone who just turned on the radio, they are confused. We were talking mm -hmm. about conversation like you. But that's how the live program is. And thank you again, my colleagues, Dr. Alexandra and Dr. Daniel Rockers. And we come back next week to have another conversation regarding some psychological and cultural issues. With that, have a wonderful rest of the weekend and we come back next week. <laughs> Delle divane, bagame dirina, be mazaresina, be khabara, 
delle divane تو باز آمدم از سر کوی او دل دیوانه پنهان کردم در خاکستر غم آن همه آرزو دل دیوانه تو مرا با عشق او آشنا کردی پس از این زاری مکن حوث یاری مکن تو اینا کام دل دیوانه با غم دیرینم به مزار سینم به خوابارم دل دیوانه با تو رفتم بی تو باز آمدم از سر کوی او دل دیوانه پنهان کردم در خاکستر غم آن همه آرزو دل دیوانه بگویم با من ای دل چه ها کردی تو مرا با عشق او آشنا کردی پس از این زاری مکن حوث یاری مکن تو ای ناکام دل دیوانه با غم دیرینم به مزار سینم به خوابانم دل دیوانه به خوابانم دل دیوانه